It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. I feel like I'm over here beaming because I'm so excited for this conversation with Lloyd today, who I found through TikTok. And Lloyd, you are exactly what I imagined you to be. (laughs) You just are so authentic on TikTok and that really shines through. You're authentic in the way that I would have been surprised if you had been any different to talk to offline. Some people like they're so good at performing authenticity that you meet them and you're shocked that they're not who they seem to be on social media. Has that happened to you too? It has lots of times. (laughs) It's so disappointing, but somehow I just knew that wasn't going to be the case. And I'm so glad I was right because We've been talking for almost an hour before recording. And my intention was like, we're going to talk for five minutes, press record and keep all of our conversation on the show. But we just got into this big behind the scenes convo about podcasting, which is your passion and line of work as well. And it's also your birthday, the day that this episode comes out, which I did not know ahead of time, but 11-11 that is such a cool birthday to have. Thank you so much. I, I'm so excited to be here. And in my hometown country where I'm from Zimbabwe, it's not like a holiday or anything, but in the United States, it's like Veterans Day. And so that's something I had to like get used to. But I'm so excited to be here and to be chatting with you. I feel the exact same way about you. So thank you for having me. Yeah, you're so welcome. And I, I felt like 11-11 was another holiday, but I couldn't remember off the top of my head. And you said you're going to be in LA. Since we're recording this in October, over a month ahead of time, you're going to be in LA on your birthday for the first time, which is where I live. And I'm curious, do you have anything you want to do in Los Angeles looking ahead to the future and the day this episode comes out? What do you think you'll be doing? Like since I was a kid in Zimbabwe, I would watch TV and I'd see LA and it would just look like sunny all the time. So now like that's what's associated in my mind. So I keep seeing this video of people walking like on this. It's not like a trail. It's like a road, but it's like I don't know. It's like maybe like a road for scooters and it's across the beach. So I just want to be there and I want to be in the sun and I want to be on this specific road. Just to say that like I was in LA and I did this. Is there a Ferris wheel in the background of this road? There is. Okay. So I know exactly where that is. It's on the Santa Monica beach near the Santa Monica pier. It's south of the pier. And I, Mm. when she started describing it, it's very specific. There's a hotel over there called the Lowe's Hotel. If you just look up the Lowe's Hotel and walk to the beach from there, that's where that sand is. And it's actually pretty much exactly what you from the photos and videos. So I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I remember when I went to that area for the very first time, I grew up in Massachusetts where I'm currently recording from today. And my dad and I went to Australia he was doing business out there and I 
was obsessed with Australia as a little kid. So he, I got to tag along and we had a layover in Los Angeles. And like you, I had always dreamed of going there and I'll never forget what it was like to go to the beach and see people rollerblading and walking with their surfboards. Truly what in the movies and TV, that part of LA feels like it's out of a movie. So I can't wait for you to experience that. And you could go there for a sunset and have some food down there. Yeah, go to I'm the so pier excited. if you want. <laughs> it's going to feel like That's a movie. So cool. <laughs> yeah, I think it will. I hope I'm not like making it, overselling it. But I, I yeah, think you're yeah. going to really enjoy it. And I hope it's not rainy and like the few times out of the year it does. So just be prepared because it does get chilly this time mm. of year by the beach. So that was one thing that I was not prepared for because I think you just assume it's hot all the time in LA, right, exactly. but it can get chilly. One thing you and I talked about ahead of recording was your history moving from Zimbabwe to the United States. And it sounded like it wasn't that long ago. Did you say 2006? That's right. 2006. Uh, and I guess that's farther away than we would like to imagine, but does it feel like you, do you still think a lot about your time back then? Do you feel like you're new to the US? What's your state of mind coming from a completely different part of the world and now integrating into the US culture? Yeah, I like to think that being from Zimbabwe has shaped me and has played a big role in my identity. I left Zimbabwe when I was too young to really appreciate its beauty, but I also got to America a little too late to really embrace all of the things that something like the other kids in my class were embracing. So I've kind of felt like I'm without a home in that capacity. But even as I grew up, when I landed here in 2006, I was about 12 years old and I'm about to turn 29, I think. Yeah. And I think that I spent like half of my life there and a little more than half here. And so in that regard, I feel as I think about just uh, my passions from like my line of work or maybe like my outlook on the world, a lot of how I perceive the world came from my time in Zimbabwe. And do you feel like that's influenced your podcasting career? Like how did that come about? And how does that show up in the conversations you have as a podcaster and your passion for the production side and the creation side of podcasts. I would love to hear that whole story, that evolution. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that from the time I was a kid to what I do now, I've always just felt like I was searching for purpose. That's the common theme in my life. Like I wanted to find like my thing. I think some people naturally know they're good singers. They know they're good actors, or maybe they know they're entrepreneurial or like some of my other colleagues, they were just like good students. They knew they were going to go to college, become a CPA or whatever they chose. I felt like I never had anything like that. And I listened to my first podcast in 2015. I was working a dead end job and it was like terrible. Like I'd literally go to the bathroom and cry on my lunch break. That's how like bad it was. And so basically I would go to this job and from 9am to 5pm, I'd listen to podcasts and do my job. And that's how I'd like make the time pass by faster. And so that was the first time I realized, oh my gosh, like this podcast medium, that's so amazing. This is the only medium where like 
I could be at a job, I could be listening to something, I could get educated, and it's free, and I could do it while still doing other stuff. It's not like I could do that with TV or music. And so that was the first time I realized that this like medium had a lot of potential, and it was just starting. From that point, I produced my first podcast in 2019. And then in 2021 is when I decided that I love this. I'm going to become a student of this like art craft and try and learn as much about it as possible. Wow. I didn't realize that you and I have a lot of similar timelines for this. Yeah. Tell me yours. In 2015, I had another podcast and one of my big regrets now that I'm really in the podcast world is not keeping that show going because Mm -hmm. imagine what a show could be if it had started in 2015 or earlier. Cause I learned about podcasting when I was working at the Apple store and I, have these distinct memories of teaching people about podcasts. So that must have been like 2006, 2007, like really early on. And what you were saying about it being this like free piece of information, that's exactly how I would describe a podcast. Because back then, people didn't really understand it. But podcast, I believe the term originates from Apple because now I'm like, blanking on how exactly to describe it, but it's maybe because the iPod, right? With the Apple iPod, I think they coined the term podcast. Is that right? (laughs) I think it is. I think it's like half of the word is from like iPod, which is where like the pod comes from. And then the other half is like from the word broadcast. So that's like where it came from. So it's crazy to think about Apple playing that big of a role in like this medium. Totally. So it actually must have been after 2007 then because, or wait, the iPad, the iPod was out earlier. That was, it was the iPhone that came out in 2007 and just seeing that whole evolution. And now the iPhone playing such a big role in podcasting and just like how it still feels like we're new to it. It still feels like it's early. This is something that you've shared and I'm fascinated by that. Like, how are we still in the early days of podcasting, even though the medium has been out for so long? But I too, this show started in 2019, like yours. And it was probably in 2021 that I started feeling really passionate about helping other podcasters. And I think that's why I've been so drawn to your work on TikTok is I love your style of sharing information and making podcasting feel so accessible and encouraging people and breaking down the technology. You and I have the same microphone, for instance, and we we get drawn to similar tech. So I'm always curious, what are you going to share next? And I just feel this kinship with the work that you do. And yet you and I are different in the sense that there, it seems like you're really interested in like the management and helping people with the production and post-production side of podcasting. Is that right? That is. And I'm still figuring that out per se. I'd say my original passion was like, Hey, I wonder if I could get like a thousand people to start a podcast. And that's like where my journey on TikTok started. It's pivoted over the last few months now to him. I wonder if I could help like business owners and creators like manage their podcasts. And so if there's a creator that's really talented and has a great idea, but maybe doesn't have enough time to manage their podcast, I wonder if I could do that for them. And so it's evolved. And I feel like there's a few different ways that I'm trying to help people, but all roads lead to everyone needs to have a podcast. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And yet it's interesting because as you observe 
the resistance that comes up with podcasting. This is actually something I wanted to talk with you about. You have a video that's funny about people not starting a podcast and like the excuses they give and the resistance to just do it. When if you have a mobile phone or even a computer, technically you can just start. You don't have to have a fancy mic. We both have the Sure mics, which was a big step for me. I started off with the Yeti, which a lot of podcasters do. It's not necessarily a cheap microphone, but it's a very good and common beginner's microphone. Then I stepped up to the Audio-Technica mic I used for a while. And then this one was like, I couldn't wait to get a Sure mic. But you could, as a lot of people do, use a pair of headphones with the microphone on them. A lot of people use their AirPods which I don't think have the best sound, but it's still okay not to have the best sound. And so I'm curious what other things, obstacles or excuses that you found in your work that prevent people from just starting. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I feel like, you know, I I wonder if maybe you like dealt with this too, but like from the time I actually started my podcast in 2019, it had been almost like two or three years with me just having the idea and just not starting. And I find that's the case with a lot of podcasters that if you ask a random person like, Hey, how long did it take you to record your first idea? Like your first actual episode from the time you had your idea, it's normally between six months to a year. And I think that just goes to highlight the fears that we have are not like the challenges we have are actually not technical and they're less surrounded around like the equipment we need and more around like our fear of judgment starting like expressing our opinion publicly. And so I'd love, like, I'd love to learn how long did it take you to start just because I find that like a lot of like our fears starting are not related to technology. That is such a great point, And I absolutely agree. It's interesting when I look back in 2015, when I had the first show that I did. I I think my co-host and I did 10 episodes or so. And it was really helpful to work with somebody else because she knew a good amount of podcasting, not from experience, but we both love to research. We used resources like Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas, who are putting out a lot of free information. And I already had the Blue Yeti. I actually bought that microphone on a whim and I almost returned it. But there was something about it that really drew me in, like a lot of people, as I mentioned. And I'm so glad I kept it because I had the microphone. To your point, I already had the tech. My friend had this boom arm that I now have for my show, but I just got this in the past two years. My friend had, I think, the pop filter. Like She had a lot more things and she was willing to invest. I didn't want to put a lot of money into it, so I really just had the Yeti mic. And what we had to figure out back then, which was a little bit more challenging than it is now is the hosting side of it. That really overwhelmed me. And I think it overwhelms a lot of people. We were using this popular tool called Libsyn, which is great. But back then it felt so complicated to set up Libsyn and you had to set it up through your website. And I just remember being like, I'm going to persevere through this, but this is really frustrating. And nowadays, though, people don't quite have that excuse. A lot of people use Anchor, I feel like, because it's so plug and play. Have you used Anchor or do what do you use for hosting? Yeah. So I right now I use Buzzsprout, but I did recently try using Anchor and I was just so impressed at just like how easy it is. And I feel like 
a lot of people in the podcast industry dislike Anchor because they're lowering the barrier so low for people to get into podcasting that it just ends up creating like a lot of more quantity than quality. But I love how easy they make it. And you can literally just record your podcast and upload it in a matter of like seconds. And so I do think that as the barrier continues to get lower, it's going to become easier for people to start a podcast. I want to share something with you that I've been working on just based on observation. And it's basically this idea called Podlink. And so the assumption is it's a four-week incubator for Black women to start their podcast. But The thesis of it is that I was doing a lot of giveaways, like microphone giveaways, and I'd give people a microphone. And what I learned is that even after they got a free microphone, they still wouldn't start their podcast. And so then I thought, darn, I wonder if there's like other ways we could lower the barrier to start. For instance, with this like Podlink program, we basically take 50 black women over the course of four weeks, we give them a free microphone, free headphones, free microphone stand. We buy them dinner every day. We pay for their childcare. And so the idea is like, how low can we get the barrier to the point where literally there's now no reason for you not to start your podcast? Because it's even if you have a microphone, if you're like, let's just say a single mom and you have a kid, you have to make dinner. It's just, it's still going to be really hard for you to start your podcast. And so it's just, what are all the ways we can continue to lower the barrier for people to start their podcast? I love that you're doing that. That's so wonderful and generous and it must be really fulfilling and revealing too, because I'm sure that there'll still be obstacles. And I think your point is spot on about it being more of a mental obstacle, because as I mentioned, you don't really have to have any of that special tech. Most people have some sort of device they can record on. They don't even really need headphones. And I always try to be transparent, like my Apple AirPods. I know these are expensive, but I got, I worked my way up to getting these and they felt valuable to me over time. And the same with the mic, but you really don't need any of that stuff. It doesn't have to look a certain way or sound a certain way. As long as it's clear enough where people can understand you. But the next step that seems to be an obstacle, Lloyd, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this is, and something actually you brought up on TikTok is how you use a tool like Airtable to set up what your show episode is going to be. And it looks like from your Airtable that you actually have a structure for your show set up to help you work through it. And I, there are podcasters like me who just wing it and flow and it's conversational, But do you consider yourself a podcaster that has more structure and more planning before you ever press record? Yeah, that's such a great point. And I find that personally, originally when I started like my podcast, it was heavily scripted. And so I basically wrote down every single word I was going to say. And at the time when I started, it was a solo podcast. It was just me. And so it almost felt like I was writing an essay and I was reading it. But now I'm trying to become less scripted. And so essentially what I do now is just have these core pillars. And so I break them down and I might have, let's just say four pillars. And the first might be like, hey, tell us what you do. And so I may ask a question like, if you met me at a happy hour, like, how would you introduce yourself to me? 
And then within that pillar, I may have a few follow-up questions. And so I'm assuming that you may say, I'd say my name is John and I do X. And so my follow-up question would be A and then follow-up question number two, B and then C. And so in my mind, I know if each of these core pillars are seven minutes, that's my entire episode. And if each of these follow-up questions are a minute, that's how I get to the seven minutes. And so my whole thing at first was like, I just don't want it to get awkward and I didn't want it to feel like I don't have any questions. And so Breaking it down in this capacity basically ensures me that if you're talking for at least 30 seconds to a minute for each question, that's my entire episode. And so it just simplifies how to start up episode, especially when you have a guest and you have to think about what to ask them and how you want the conversation to flow. Lloyd, I want to go back to your work supporting female Black podcasters. I'm curious why them? Why are you looking at that demographic? Yeah, that's such a great question. I tend to find that, so just like in the world of podcasting, like the Black market as a whole is just like underserved. There's just not enough content for Black people. Just in general, there's actually a study that came out by Sirius. And one of the things they found in the study was that 59% of people said that they would listen to more podcasts if there was more black hosts. And so that's like just the first like thesis problem, right? Like we could get more listeners, which means more advertising if there's just more black hosts. And so within that medium, I find that black women generally have so much to say, but don't necessarily have the platforms to say it. And so to me, this just seemed like a really cool opportunity to empower people. And I've tried to make this entire incubator just like, completely black run. So even we have four instructors, all of them are black. We have a moderator, all of them are black. And so it's just like really cool that like the only thing I'm doing is just like organizing it, getting the people together and trying to get like the funding for it. But I think it's really cool to see this like incubator that's completely black run just for black women. I'll pause here to summarize why I'm so thrilled to have Zencaster as a sponsor of this show. Whether you're a listener who may feel interested in how podcasters make things happen, or perhaps you're a podcaster yourself, you're working on a podcast, you want to improve a current podcast, you're thinking about starting a podcast, I highly recommend Zencaster. One of the many things I like about them is that as an all-in-one web-based solution, they make it so easy to do post-production. And that's the process in which you're mixing your tracks, you're combining audio and video, perhaps you're uh, normalizing loudness, which may not make sense if you haven't done this before, but it really just makes your podcast sound good. Maybe you want to reduce some hum, other enhancements to your show, make it sound like it was recorded in a studio. You can do all of that in Zencaster. And I find this super fascinating. You know, I remember before I started this show, I was like, how do podcasters do things? This is so overwhelming. And when I found Zencaster, it was a huge relief because prior to that, I was doing it in this very manual piece of software and I was confused. I didn't know how all of the bells and whistles worked. Zencaster just makes everything so simple. There's a ton of tools there, but it's really easy. And this is great for someone who wants to do it all themselves. So maybe I've planted a seed in your head and you're thinking about using Zencaster. 
or perhaps recommending it to someone else, even if you're not a podcaster yourself. I want you to have the same easy experience. So go to zencaster.com to check it all out. They have a free version. If you want to use some of the paid features, you can get 30% off your first three months of that. Go to zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the promo code Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. I've linked to this in the show notes for this episode, as well as in the description to make it super easy for you to share your story like I do. That's really incredible. And I, I can't wait to see the results of that. I was sharing with you how I've noticed over the last few years that there doesn't seem to be a ton of diversity in the podcast field. And I asked you offline, is that true? Or is that just something that I'm seeing because I'm a white woman, where there seems to be a ton of white female podcasters, white male podcasters, a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, and then a ton of like older entrepreneurs doing it. I would love to hear more about your research and your observations about people who are outside of that demographic. What are you seeing? What aren't you seeing? That's such a great question and a great realization. And I feel like like the podcast space is changing really fast. There's a podcast conference called Podcast Movement. And I think it's like the biggest podcast conference in the world. But around like 2018-ish, I felt like a lot of people were complaining that this specific podcast conference was too white male heavy, right? And so the conference got that feedback. They've made changes. They have more like female host, more women host. So I feel like they're slowly changing and it's slowly getting more diverse, but even just giving more white women a platform that's like relatively new, right? Four years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. And so it's like great to see that change. I feel like as of late, like people have been trying to be more intentional about like bringing more people of color, giving them more opportunities, giving more black hosts opportunities. And so I don't think it's just, I think what you're realizing is something like we're all realizing that this space is not diverse enough and there are more people that could be give, like given an opportunity and platforms to speak, both as it relates to like, hey, we need more hosts, but also just from like an advertising standpoint, from like a business standpoint, from a even a technology standpoint. And that honestly, is like my big fear. Honestly, I just think if you look at, for instance, all of the hosting companies that exist within the world of podcasting, only one of them is like a black owned company, even though there's so many hosting companies. Like I constantly hear people complain that like, we have way too many hosting companies. Like it's just like overwhelming, but not that many of them are black owned. So to your point, I think that the industry is still so young that we get to play a role in forming what we want it to look like in 10 years. And I'm just grateful that we're thinking about these sorts of things. And I just don't want like the podcast industry to end up like the music industry or the film industry where it's like, hey, we have all these people of color that play a big role in turning the industry into what it is, but they don't own anything. That's just, that would be terrible. I'm glad you brought that up because I saw one of your TikTok videos about this subject matter. You wrote an article called Black Podcasts and Untapped Ownership Opportunity. And I really want to hear more about that because that's something I haven't even thought of. It's not just the hosting or the guests. 
which I've been really working to ensure that I'm representing a diverse group of people in my guests. At the beginning of the show, I wasn't. And one day I looked at my guest list and was horrified. I'm like, oh my, without even realizing it, I was almost entirely, my guest list was almost entirely white. And even the lack of diversity in gender, I can't remember what the balance was, if it was mostly women or mostly men, but I had to be very intentional about it. And then when I tried to be more intentional, I found it really challenging to find guests of color, but also different marginalized people. One thing I want to work more on is people that have different bodies. That's something that not always being an able-bodied person, for example, I want to focus more on disability. So many forms of diversity that I don't see on other shows and I didn't see on my own for a while. And I'm so grateful that people like you are working to amplify voices and help people find each other. But I want to hear more about this ownership side of things. What does that mean to you? And what are some of the opportunities for Black people or other forms of, or people beyond the white community or the white able-bodied, et cetera? What are the opportunities for them and how do they start getting involved from, in your opinion? Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. And I think to your point that I think diversity of any kind requires intentionality. And I'm so excited to see that like a lot of the hosts in the podcast space are starting to think about their audience in this way. I think for me, my passion lately has just been like, how do I get as many black people as possible to gain ownership in the podcast community? And so what that means for me is like, a lot like the podcast industry is a billion dollar industry. And that's because we have advertisers, we have analytics companies, we have companies that produce microphones, we have companies that produce conferences, we have companies that their entire job is to write captions for your podcast. That's all they do, right? And so we have all these businesses, they get seed funding. I don't know if you saw this recently, but there's a hosting company that was acquired by Acast a few months ago, and they were acquired for 34 million. So it's like the podcast ecosystem just as a whole is doing like really well, and it's gonna continue to grow really fast. We need to make sure now that black people not only understand that like the podcast industry is growing, but also that there's a huge opportunity. I constantly hear business owners say, I'm starting a business. I just need a niche. I just need an area to focus. The podcast industry is like a perfect industry to focus. It's growing really fast and it's like underserved. So it's there you go. And so I think the more black founders we have, the more diversity we have, I think the more of a, I think that will start to be reflective and not only the type of content we see, but also the types of creators we start to see when we, it feels great to be represented. Even one of the things I say in the article is ironically, the only black owned podcast hosting company is also the only like hosting company period and podcasting that's paid me to do some like content work for them on social media. And when I was talking to the founder, his name is Patrick. He's so cool. There was just like this, I don't know how to describe it. It's, it felt like I was seen and we both had this look where I just, we just stared at each other and it was like a surreal moment. And it just felt good to be like represented. And so as like a creator, like I would love to see more of that. I would love to know that like the microphone that I'm using was made by someone that looks like me and that is possible. And so I'm hoping that in the, like the years to come, we start to see more of that. That is so powerful. I feel so moved by hearing that. And I feel like it's so important to vocalize that 
because for me, I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of people that look like me and seeing them as founders, seeing them as guests, as hosts. Like I've had that example over and I don't know what it's like to not have that experience. Do you feel like there are other barriers to entry in the podcast world? Is there racism? Is there lack of resources? Is there financial obstacles, other things that are coming up that are making it hard for marginalized communities to get involved? And if so, how do we overcome that? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think that there's a few different things that are happening that make it a bit challenging. I think the first is like a lot of like these business owners need support. So when that black founder does decide he's going to start a hosting company or a microphone company, they need like our support from like the black community. And then I think the second thing is they need like opportunities. I was a bit disheartened when I went to podcast movement this last August in Dallas, and there was no dedicated like stage. There wasn't any dedicated events for like Black people and that kind of sucked. And you could tell like a lot of people were frustrated about that. It also was not lost on me that when I'd go to like happy hours or events and stuff, let's just say there were 400 people there. You just slowly start to see all the like black people like slowly group in one corner. And I think part of it was just like this weird feeling where it's like, you're seeing another black person and you're like, oh my gosh, like you podcast too, or you do what I do. And it's like this cool resemblance and you want to get to know people that look like you and it's cool that they're there. And so that to me just highlighted that we're not being intentional enough, giving, creating like space or giving a platform to like black founders. And so it feels like whenever that exists or whenever there's an opportunity to be together, that advantage is taken. That wouldn't necessarily be the case, for instance, if there was a dedicated space for Black. Like if, let's just say there was like a main stage and this Black-owned hosting company was considered to be a sponsor or maybe a keynote on the main stage. Generally speaking, I don't know if this is like fact, but it feels like we're thought of as like an afterthought. So it's not like I went to a one of the events that was centered around like Black creators was on like the last day of the conference. It was like in a it was like a smaller room and I could just tell like after all the other panels I've seen, I felt like this one could have gotten highlighted a little more. And so those are just, in my opinion, like some of the ways that I think like people that aren't black, but may have a platform could play a role in like helping a black founder. And, and I do think that like the podcast community is like pretty supportive. It's not perfect, but there are lots of people that do DM me and say, Hey, like I'm reaching out. Like I saw this opportunity. Like, how can I help? Who do you need me to introduce you to? And they're just trying to help me as like a black founder. And so I do think that there are some people that are like doing a good job of this, but I would love to see more of it as like the industry continues to grow. I'm reflecting on what you're sharing here about that conference. And I wonder, is it ignorance? Is it an afterthought or are people just uncomfortable and they don't know how to put together things like that because they're not used to it and no one's pressuring them or encouraging them. And I think having to move through that discomfort and to try things out and again, like representing people that aren't commonly represented is so important, but unless you're or having people request it over and over again, they maybe it is an afterthought. And I think you have an amazing opportunity 
to be part of that movement and to get people together. You seem to have a natural desire and ability to bring people together. Something else I saw on your TikTok was about the Black Podcasters Awards. Is that right? How did that go? I saw you did a call to action on TikTok asking people to tag and I didn't see a lot of comments and I didn't know if it was the algorithm or is that people just don't know a lot of block black podcasters. What was that experience like to do that video? And also how did the awards go? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I had such a blast. So the first thing, like before I made that video and the video was essentially just a video saying, Hey, the black podcast awards are coming up. So if you know a black podcaster, like tag them below so that they could nominate their own podcast. But about two weeks before that, I didn't know about the black podcast awards. I had just made a video saying, Hey, we need more black ownership. We need more black. We need our own award show. We need our own, our own things. And one of the people commented in that video saying, Hey, we actually have the black podcast awards. should check them out. And so when I checked them out, I immediately reached out and said, like, how can I help? Like, how can I volunteer? And that's like how I got connected with them. But it is really cool just to see like a platform that's dedicated entirely to celebrating a group of people like that is like awesome. And that's really dope. And it's cool to see just how excited maybe that people are when they are celebrated. And so it felt really good to participate in these awards specifically to see like people get some sort of like recognition. And you know how hard like the podcast space is. Sometimes it feels like absolutely no one is listening to your podcast. And so to have a set group of people say, we're going to listen to your podcast, we're going to celebrate it. We all loved it. And you're going to be nominated or win an award really goes a long way. And I sometimes feel like award shows as being like very vain and I don't personally care about their like accolades. I feel this way about the Oscars every year, but I could see like the value in this specific way where it felt like I could see like this moving the needle and this like making a tangible change in someone's life. Absolutely. And even for me, not being a person of color, but really interested in learning more and hearing more from other people and finding ways to amplify their voices. I was so excited when I saw you posting about that because I want to find those people too. And I feel like it's hard because there doesn't seem to be that I know of a great resource. And I'm in a lot of podcast groups and I get so frustrated because it's For example, one of the groups I'm in is so dominated by other white women and a lot of them are coaches and they're wellness people. And I'm like, you're too much like me. (laughs) I want to find people who are different from me in all different senses, but I don't even know where to look sometimes. And I also worry about the approach is that is my desire to hear from different people is that. I don't want that to come across like I'm seeing them as a token or a, I don't even fully know what words to use. I don't want them to feel like they're being like used or taken advantage of because I'm interested in learning from them. That's been a challenge too. And I'm curious about how you can be mindful about bringing in different voices and truly showing them respect and deep desire to connect with them and not in a superficial, I'm using you for something way. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I don't think anyone's really spoken about this just yet, but I think some degree we're all thinking about it. And I think that, I think here's what it like really boils down to is I think that in general, people know that like the podcast industry is growing and the podcast industry is heavily fueled by advertisers. And so the advertisers are constantly thinking about, and not just advertisers, like even like conference hosts, right? They're constantly thinking about like, how can we like 
amplify what we're doing to get more sales. So say we take a group just like our black audience, for instance, right? Like one of the things that Sirius highlighted is the black podcast economy is worth almost like a trillion dollars in spending power. And I may be butchering that number, but it's like an astronomical number, right? And so if I'm a person that has like a business, an advertiser, a conference, I know that I need this audience, right? Like I know that like I to increase my sales, like this isn't an area I should be investing in. And so take whoever, I'm not going to name any names specifically for this podcast, but it feels like to me that I think people feel taken advantage of when they feel like you don't necessarily care about the community, but you care about what the community can give you. And that may look like thinking through like how you can invite as many black people to your conference without necessarily putting any black people on stage, for example. And so I I think there needs to be, I love the word you use, which is just like some sort of like mutual respect, some sort of think appreciation. I think just even like hearing those words, like go a long way and feeling like, feeling seen, feeling valuable, feeling not you. And so I think that like approaching anyone and keeping those things in mind, I think goes a really long way and making people feel like you actually care about them. And so that doesn't always feel, it doesn't always feel that way when people put on conferences where we don't feel seen or they're constantly talking about black content without taking in mind who it may harm. And so I just appreciate that perspective. And just that is even something that you're keeping top of mind. Yeah, it triggers me a lot to see things when they feel performative, like in in general, like, and when I learned that word in the context of like racism, dismantling racism, and we saw that so much in 2020, and I was trying to figure out like, how do I speak out about these things I'm passionate about? And that's where I really started to understand what performative action was. And I didn't want to do that. But sometimes, and going back to the conference, I wonder, does that same fear come up where somebody might want to play a role in moving, in inviting different voices and different types of people and creating more diversity, but are they afraid of being performative? Or is it possible that they're just thinking about how can they make the most amount of money and are they doing certain things because there's a financial incentive? That absolutely could be the case, sadly. But on the business side of things, a lot of people get laser focused. It's all about surviving as a business, thriving as a business, and they're filtering everything through that lens versus my big shift in my career has, and we touched upon this when you and I were speaking privately, how for many years, I was like, how do I monetize my content? But I had to go back to like, why did I start this in the first place? What do I care about? This isn't about the money. Yes, I want to survive. I want to be able to pay my rent. I would love to pay my rent through my content because I enjoy doing it. But that's can be really tough. And that's something else I'd love to chat with you about, Lloyd, like your experience as a content creator, like the decisions you have to make so that you can sustain yourself. You're married. So I imagine that comes into play, like being a husband and thinking about finances. How do you think through all this stuff in the context of your business to keep it in line with your ethics? So you, we can, I'll answer too. Yeah. I'll be honest. Like this is like really hard for me. And I think that like, I, I find myself doing things like I wouldn't normally do or don't want to do quite a lot, actually, specifically because I feel like I need to like monetize what I'm doing to justify my time. For instance, like 
there's lots of sponsors I work with and create content on their behalf that I love and agree with and support, but just don't enjoy it that much. And if I had like unlimited resources, I probably wouldn't do it. And so I think it's a healthy balance between thinking through what is like the larger mission we're trying to accomplish, which is that we need money to keep doing the things that we're doing that we enjoy. And so that may mean we need to do some short-term things that we don't necessarily love, aren't like unethical per se. And so for me, and I've always just like, you framed this question so well, because I'm breaking it into two aspects, which is just like tangibly, realistically, practically, how do we make money on a day-to-day basis from our content? But there's also this ethical standpoint that is also really important. And to me, that is really big and it's a core pillar. And I find that my overall approach just with life is that treat people well and things will always work out as they should. And I just believe that God is like working things out on my behalf and that I don't necessarily need to like advocate for myself in that way, that if I just try and always do the right thing, treat people well, and sometimes that might mean you get taken advantage of. Sometimes that might mean that you may not get like the last word always, right? But just believe in that in the grand scheme of things, like things will work themselves out to your favor, I think is like how I try and stay like on the right side or the ethical side of things. But I do want to hear your answer because I was just going to ask you this before you asked me. It's really tricky. I've been in the content creator world since 2008 and seen so much shift before even the term influencer was being used. I was trying to figure out how to monetize and I've leaned mostly towards and have continued to do this, especially in more recent years, like educating others, what you're doing, like supporting other people directly versus supporting the brands. While I do sometimes work with brands and I do occasionally have sponsors of the show, I have a sponsor right now. The last few months, I've been grateful to have a sponsor. That's not my primary focus. And I don't want that to be my primary source of income, similar to what you've been saying. Because in the past, when I was really focused on working with sponsors as my main source of income... I felt like it was easier for me to compromise my ethics. I'd let things slide. It'd be like, this isn't exactly what I believe in, but it's close enough. And I probably would buy this. Like I would find myself not fully in alignment and I'm not good at faking things. Don't enjoy it. I should say, I guess I could act and really pretend, but deep down the entire time I'm doing a performance, I feel awful. and when it would come to doing like a sponsored video on YouTube, for example, I'd be like, this is, this feels horrible. I I don't getting, I also started to realize that the money I was getting paid didn't even feel worth it because it just doesn't feel good. And sometimes I've worked with brands where the people at the brand were really unpleasant and they treated me really poorly. In fact, a big turning point for me was I think in 2020, there's this one campaign I got for social media and they weren't paying me very well, but it was something I cared about. So I was like, great. Like, I, I believe in this, but it was the way that they treated me that ultimately I pulled out of the campaign last minute. They also, the con- in the contract, were really taking advantage of me. And that was the final straw. And I became a big advocate for content creators to read their 
anything that they're signing, contract agreements, making sure they're writing their own whenever they're doing a brand deal, which a lot of people don't do, understanding the language, how your content can be used. Because sadly, you might think that you're making money and yes, it might pay the bills, but what? how could this company possibly take advantage of you? How are they treating you? Do they value you? Are they treating you like a human being or are they treating you like another way to make money with their company? Kind of what you said. And sadly, I've had a lot of the latter experiences. So I pulled back and it shifted my relationship with social media. But the positive is that I found through podcasting, there seems to be more value in in like people in general started taking me a little bit more seriously. And I think it's because it's podcasting might still feel like a mystery and something new and unexplored. And like you've been saying, there's, it's not super crowded yet. And even the people who get in on a podcast still have to prove themselves. Like it takes a lot of work to grow a show. Yes, you could do it through all these free tools as we've talked about. The barrier to entry is not very high, but for finding success in the podcast field, it takes a lot of time. And that brings me to something else I wanted to chat with you about, but I'll pause because you might have a follow-up question. (laughs) Yes, that was so well said. You said that so beautifully. And I resonate with a lot of what you said. Just as I heard you talking, I could literally just, I feel how you feel about this. And even more specifically, there's just times where I felt like the money for the work I'm doing for brands starts not to like feel worth it. And to your point, it's that being creative and figuring out ways where that doesn't have to be the case is so important. But I don't know that people understand that until you go through an experience like this. So true. Yeah. You have to have some of these bad experiences first, sadly. And then you just have to be resilient enough not to get too jaded from it. TikTok's a great example where you and I met. I've gone through phases of doing a lot of content on TikTok. And right now I barely ever post on there. I I actually record a ton of videos with the intention of putting them on TikTok. But even when money is not involved, I want to feel like an ease and a flow to content creation. Otherwise it's not worth it. And TikTok actually feels like a lot of pressure. I'm curious if you feel that way, Lloyd, because you seem to be so consistent with your videos. You They are very well done. They're very well thought out. Does that take a lot of time and energy? And do you feel pressure on the platform to perform in a certain way? I, I resonate a lot with what you said earlier that I find platforms where people are kind to me, right? So I don't post a lot on Instagram. I don't post a lot on YouTube. I'm not even on TikTok. Twitter. So if I feel like there's any chance where you're going to be like trolling me, posting me in comments, just not the platform for me. And so TikTok feels to me like people are supportive, they're kind, and I love that about it. I do also go through like phases where it feels like, okay, like I'm in my flow, I've got my schedule, I'm consistent, topics are flowing. So I'm creating three to four videos a day, nonstop, no problem. 
great, let's go. At the, when I first started on TikTok, there was a point where I was doing like six to seven videos a day, which is insane and I don't recommend it. And so now I feel like with TikTok, I'm trying to be a little more intentional, but also trying to give myself grace, right? And understanding that like, like the last two weeks when I moved and relocated, I didn't post any content and that felt so good. Like it felt like a good vacation and a good break. And now I'm slowly trying to get back into it and just giving myself permission to do that. But there is a pressure for me to keep creating. And when I don't create, I feel like I'm missing out on something. That's very relatable. I do have that FOMO feeling, but I've actually learned to embrace that over the last few years that I stepped back around the t- when the pandemic started in early 2020, I was feeling like not pulled into creating content like I used to. And I stepped back from Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and leaned really into podcasting. And that felt so much better. I've loved TikTok as a consumer, as a viewer. Like I think it's the greatest. I love that I get to meet people like you. I've made wonderful friendships and partnerships and so many cool opportunities. And I do have that subtle feeling of, I should be posting But what I've learned is that you have to balance it out, like you said, and being intentional and you have to really evaluate, are you doing this for yourself? And usually the answer is no for me. (laughs) And that's what I know. I'm not going to spend an hour making a video. Like even if it's already filmed, I still have to edit it. I want to think through it. And then that awful feeling when you put a ton of work into something and the algorithm doesn't show it to anybody. And you have to, I basically have learned to ask myself, is it okay if nobody sees this? Is it still worth posting? And if the answer is yes, then I'll probably do it. But if I'm posting for views, that's usually a sign that it might not be the right choice for me and worth all the time and energy because I have no control over how many people see content. Just like you were saying, I have no control ultimately over the podcast, I can do all this work to optimize things. But a lot of times I'll go in my analytics and they won't be the results I was hoping for. And I have to be okay with that. 100%. And I, there's so much here. That's such a great point. And I feel like part of what I've been thinking about is there's like this weird feeling, right? Like where people will message me and say, Hey, like, I started my podcast because of you and I'm on episode two and it's so amazing. And then I just think back to what having a podcast did for me. And it's like, there's no way I would have even been able to like create on TikTok. I was like terrified of creating content online. And a podcast was like the first thing that really gave me the confidence of like, oh my gosh, like I can do this. I did this. Like I created this thing and like people are listening to it. And so when I think about like all these people that are creating their like podcasts, I just wonder, darn. Like, I wonder if I'm trying to think more that like one person saying I started my podcast is the equivalent of a thousand views, right? And so having four people say they did something and they actually like made an action, they bought a microphone, they recorded, they overcame the fear that it has impact. And so I like to think of my community as being like hyper engaged, even though it's not like super big. That mindset is drastically helpful. I It's hard though, because there's so much pressure to get followers and views. But I have learned over time 
to feel that pressure and let it go. And I just went to a trade show about a week ago and I would, I was talking to all these different companies there. I go there because I love natural products and the show is a big showcase for foods and drinks and body care, et cetera. And I'll walk around, I'll talk to a lot of brand founders and every once in a while they'll ask me about my podcast and social media And then they'll ask like how big my following is. And I'm trying to develop an answer to that because it makes me really uncomfortable when someone's, oh, how many followers do you have? I'm like, really? You just met me and this is how you're evaluating me? If I give you an answer that doesn't impress you, does that mean the conversation's over? That's such an awful feeling. But I can't blame people for asking those questions because we've been conditioned to do that. And over the past 10 years, like that has been such a huge part of our society of like follower counts equaling value, view counts equaling value. And as a creator, if you're in this for the long run, I think it's really wise to not be so focused on that. That also plays a role in the diversity side of things, Lloyd. I have to recognize that not everybody has equal opportunity and success. There's a lot that goes into success. It's not always what it seems like people buy their success. People have connections. We're learning a lot about nepotism and like people that get a leg up because of their family or there's so many factors that go into what somebody achieves. And for a while, I felt like I would be pulled into having guests on the show, for example, because they had big audiences But I learned through that just because someone has a big audience doesn't mean that they're going to draw an audience to you. And I would so much rather have valuable conversations that have nothing to do with somebody's following or success metrics. But if they can add value to my life and just a few people that listen to this show, that's what's most important to me. But that's like a daily reminder because on the outside, there's so many people saying, but don't you want to grow your numbers so you can get sponsors? Don't you want to grow your numbers so you can impress people in conversations? Do you go through this too, Lloyd? Like, where are you at with that mentality? That is such a great, oh my gosh, you summarized so many amazing points. And I just want to point out too, I think that like specific to podcasting, I think there's like a lot of nuances that aren't accounted for. So there's a video I posted recently where this guy who's a successful podcaster is talking about his friend who also is a successful podcaster. And granted, like they get a large number of like monthly views, but of monthly downloads, I'm sorry, but their total revenue is like $10 million. And so the guy is explaining they're able to make $10 million from their podcast because that same audience that listens to the podcast also buys their educational content. They also go to their trade show. And so the guy continues to make this point that I'd rather have 35,000 podcast downloads, which is a large number, Versus maybe, let's just say, 75,000, let's just say, YouTube subscribers, for example, because the number of podcast downloads needs to be multiplied by the commitment of that specific subscriber. So if a podcast listener is more committed to the show, they're willing to say, every single week, I'm going to give you an hour. That is significantly greater than maybe someone that's willing to watch a five-minute video on YouTube that type of person is probably the type of person that would buy something from you for $1,000 or $500, whatever it may be. So I think there's so many more nuances that go into sort of like identifying audience size, because I'd rather have a thousand people that are like 
ultra committed and love what I do, then maybe 10,000 that just, ah, if I'm interested, I might check out his work. So I go through that quite a bit too. And just thinking through what is my goal and what am I trying to accomplish? And I will say it's like a very difficult thing to try and figure out, especially because it's so dependent on other people like sponsors. Yes, you also summarized that so well. And that's such a great point. There's the, for many of us in the business entrepreneurship world, we've heard of a thousand true fans from Kevin Kelly. And actually with the development of Web3 came out, I think it was Lee Jin, who's a big Web3 speaker, an expert. And I think she might've said with how technology is evolving you might not even need a thousand, a hundred people could be just as valuable. And I felt so much relief hearing that. And I I hope I attributed it to her correctly. But (laughs) even if I'm wrong, like about what she said, I feel like how relieving would it be? Because a hundred people feels like such an achievable number versus you see the huge podcasters or content creators out there with millions and you just think I'm never going to get there. And maybe that comes back to the obstacles that people face. just that pressure to get the listeners, the pressure to get sponsors, like the pressure to have something that you can brag about. But what if you could always bring it back to the reason you're doing it, your passion for it, your interest, the connections you can make. There's so much value to a podcast beyond those numbers. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like a big part of it is also just like, how consistent can you be? Which I think is like the gas you need to like, even get to like 100 or a thousand. And I feel like you've done a tremendous job with that. So I did want to ask, what do you feel like has made it a little easier to be consistent at growing or managing your podcast? Honestly, I just really love it. (laughs) So I just find it easy. I've always been on the long-winded side. So I had to give myself permission to have a long show. Actually, that was one of my big obstacles starting this podcast was hearing that the average listener only listens to 10 to 30 minute long shows or something, some statistic like that years ago. And I thought okay, that might be true, but that's not me. I always average an hour and I've tried doing shorter and maybe I can do a 45 minute episode. But even with someone like you, we've already hit the hour mark of recording and I don't want to stop talking to you. And so I had to give my permission, myself permission because that's what kept me consistent. If I kept trying to make them short and concise, that pressure I think would have led to me not being consistent. And this looking back over content in general, there were so many times in my career with YouTube, with Instagram, where I was trying to force myself into a box based on what I heard would give me the highest chance of success. And I turned down so many opportunities over the years that maybe could have propelled me in different directions metrics wise, but I also could have ended up like a burnt out content creator, as we've seen happen to huge creators out there who no longer do their content anymore. And I wonder, did the pressure become too big? Did it grow too far beyond who they are at the core that they couldn't sustain it? I don't want to be that person. So ultimately, coming up on almost 400 episodes of the show across the past three years, I've been able to be consistent because I'm leaning into 
authentically what brings me joy and not being attached to all these metrics of success and income. But that in itself is also a privilege. And I think is important to recognize that I don't have to depend on the show for income or metrics because I get validation through other parts of my life and I get income from other sources. So does any of this resonate with you? And I want to toss it back to you, Lloyd, as we get close to the end of our time today together, sadly. (laughs) How do you think through these things? And how have you stayed consistent and passionate and growing with your work? Yeah, I'm so grateful that you have, you've given us like this much time to chat because like on my podcast, I tell guests like, hey, we're going to be together from the 24 minutes. It's going to feel very short. So just even in me being here, I felt very free and feeling like I could fully say like my full answer and not feel like I have to like make it more concise. I think for me, I probably could have been like a little further along just in terms of like metrics, had I been more rigid and more systematic. I think part of what I've enjoyed this last year is just like saying screw it and just giving myself like, permission to be a little crazy and try different things. And so if you listen to like my podcast all the way from like episode one on, you're going to feel very much, what the heck is this guy doing? It's just very random. And I tell people, I think about it very much like music. If I wake up tomorrow and I'm like a solo episode, that's three minutes would actually be great. Let's do it right now. I don't need like the structure. I don't need anything. It's just, hey, today, this is what, how I'm feeling. Or today I feel like interviewing my sister. Let's get her on the phone and let's like do a podcast right now. And so I like feeling like no one ever says Kendrick Lamar or Lamar or whatever musician you like, like no one ever says to them like, Hey, make your album like the last five albums or make your album like this other artist. And so I love like the freedom of knowing that like Kendrick Lamar's every single album is different. And we love that. Like we praise him for that. And that level of creativity to me is like impressive. And I want that to be the case with like podcasting. And do you feel like that helps you stay with it versus dreading it? Because a lot of people are surprised when I tell them I do two shows a, a week and I'm up to almost 400 episodes. They're like, how did you get there? And I think it felt so easy. It flew by versus I could see how if I had did my show differently, just like a job I didn't like, I dread it. And I probably would have been like, why am I even doing this? This isn't satisfying. Have you had yeah. that same experience? I feel like I have. And I feel like the key word you mentioned, I think, is satisfaction. And for me, it's like, there's, I think like my second episode, like there was a song that just kept being stuck in my head. And like by this artist named like Asap Ferg. And at the same day, I had just dyed my hair blonde. And so I made an episode called, Here's Why I Dyed My Hair Blonde. And I talk about like how I was walking. And after I like my hair was dyed, like I went in feeling like crappy. But after my hair was done, like this is like the song that came to my mind. And I like played that song in the episode. And I just felt like that level of like seniority, whatever the word is, felt great to me. Like it felt really good. And I like feeling like that gives me satisfaction. Just feeling like I can be different. I can be creative. This is still a creative medium. I think that's the key here is the creativity and leaning into that and finding what lights you up, what satisfies you and bringing that to the show because other people feel that. I think that's what listeners are looking for. They want to be entertained or educated or maybe they just 
want to feel some relief. I think a lot of people listen to podcasts just to feel something or distract themselves from feelings that are unpleasant. I 100% agree. And and I just want to add one last thought is, which is just that I think that people that listen to podcasts, listen to their hosts, like they have some sort of superpower. And I like to think that we all have that superpower and that we all can create and that we all can share our opinion. And as weird, as quirky, as unique as we think we are, the moment we share our opinion publicly, people that resonate with us begin to find us, but that doesn't happen until we start. And so I encourage everyone to just start a podcast and just tell yourself, you're just going to record three episodes. And after those three episodes, if you hate it, you don't have to continue it. But if you love it, I hope that you do continue it. And I'm sure you will learn a lot of amazing things about yourself and that you'll find a tribe that really appreciates you for who you are. I couldn't agree more. And the connections that you make with other people are so incredible. You mentioned the podcast conferences. Oftentimes I'll go to them and feel like I'm not learning a ton from the speakers, sadly. (laughs) I wish that I could learn more, but I'll maybe get these little nuggets here and there. I get the most value from connecting with other podcasters. And podcasters as a whole tend to be so curious and they just want to talk. So it's a cool opportunity to just have these interesting conversations with people. I've also found through another podcast that I host right now, my co-host runs a business and he does the podcast because it connects him to other amazing people in the business world. He's not attached to the numbers of the show. In fact, it's been challenging for us to grow that show but it's okay because of the connections he's making to others. And podcasting gets you access to some incredible people that you might not have been connected to otherwise. And I'm at a point now with my show where people are constantly pitching themselves to be on here. And it's really cool because just random people I've never heard of are showing up telling me about their books or their projects or their missions. And I'm thinking, how else would I have been introduce this person. Yeah. And it's not only that, but I think it's like, I think meeting people is like one thing, but it's just like the level of like depth, right? So it's like you and I have been talking here for an hour. If Let's just say if we were coworkers or neighbors, or maybe we just met at a coffee shop, the amount of things you now know about me just in this hour long conversation, neither of us have pulled our phone to look at it, which would have happened if we were in person. It's I moved, I relocated with my wife. It's just, it's just, just imagine sitting with someone at coffee for an hour and just like talking to them. I just love like this art form. That's so true. I've never thought about it that way. That dedicated time one-on-one or I've actually had a couple guests at once, like some of my recent guests were a married couple and just Mm. to sit and talk with them about what they do and who they are was so fascinating. But once you start recording, it's very rare. I don't know if I've ever had a guest that's looked at their phone. I'm pretty sure I've either had a few or been on other shows where it seemed like the host was distracted looking off screen a ton. And I'm like, what the heck are they doing? I thought we were having a conversation. But overall, people do tend to be very engaged and focused in a way that you don't really get in other circumstances. Yeah, that's really interesting that you pointed that out. And I'm you're a great example of that is you can find kindred spirits and learn so much and then share that conversation to others. That's been my whole aim is I want listeners to feel like 
they're hearing almost a private conversation and getting to be in that observer or what's the term where you're listening to someone without them knowing (laughs) a fly on the wall type of thing. Maybe I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm really curious. Voyeur, I think is the term I was looking for. Just like leaning in and having a discussion that maybe you wouldn't get other otherwise podcasts are really amazing. So I feel like together you and I have hopefully sold some people and considering right. podcasting. I would love to hear with what you're doing. You're, you have the incubator. You're doing the, some of the management services last I heard. What else could you offer for someone who's might be ready to take the next step? What do they, how do they get in touch with you? You said you're getting some things off the ground. What's the timing look like? Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to connect with anyone that's interested in getting more tips on podcasting on any social media platform. My username is at Lloyd, not George. And that's L-O-I-D, not George. People always try and call me George. So I just figured I'd clarify in my username. And I obviously share daily tips on content creation for people that want to start their podcast. And I hope some people actually take me up on that. I'll be giving away a few microphones that I just got. And so I just try and make it easy, as easy as possible for people to start. And can I just say too, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I feel as I listened to some of your other podcasts, I knew this was going to be a great conversation just because you're such a great host and you do such a wonderful job, not only like researching and asking questions and making this very conversational, but this has been very helpful for me. I feel like I just went to a therapy session and I was able to like get everything off like my chest and express how I felt. So thank you so much for creating your platform for me to do that. I'm glad, grateful that you feel that way. And it's funny because the chapter that I'm opening up in my career is as a well-being coach. So I'm like actually starting to find my podcast conversations evolving in a new direction based on how I'm being trained as a coach. And yeah, no better compliment to say like I can help someone feel more clear about who they are and what they want to do. And it's been so wonderful to hear you share all of this and just understand the journey, how you think about things. It's so compelling. And I also saw you've been working on your website. Where's that right now? Because I saw this from one of your TikTok videos maybe a few months ago, and it looks so cool. So your website is set up for people to what? Listen to your podcast, follow you on social, work with you. Like, What do people get when they go to that site? Because I'm going to link to it in the show notes of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. So the website, obviously it'll be linked, but it's lloydnotgeorge.com. And it's like the hub for people to learn like how they want to engage with me. The most exciting thing I'm working on right now is a newsletter for creators and it's called Creator Hub. And the big idea here is that there's just so many resources, like even just financial resources. Like we were talking earlier about like the LinkedIn Creator Accelerator, which you get like 12,000 or something when you get in. There's just so many resources like that that I run across on a daily basis and people just don't know about them. And so I wanted to create a centralized place for people to come along. And I basically scour the web and I send you the most interesting things I found for that week so that you don't have to do any of that research. I'm glad you brought up your newsletter because I bookmarked it today to sign up for. Sometimes I'm on TikTok And I'm like, I'm not ready to leave TikTok, but I'm going to save something to do when I'm ready to get off TikTok. And your newsletter was one of them because it looks so great. I love newsletters like that. And the way you format it is really great. So 
that is on your website, easy to access, right? So if I link to your website, which will be in the description of this episode for someone right below the podcast player, you can go there immediately. And you can also find the full transcript of this episode. There'll be a video version eventually. There'll be links to everything we've mentioned today over at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R dot com and Lloyd's full bio is there all his information if you want to get in touch which I can't imagine someone wouldn't because this has been so great at the very least if someone doesn't want to start a podcast your TikToks are just so pleasant to watch Lloyd I just light up whenever you come on my for you page and I'm really grateful for how you express yourself and your desire to support others and just to meet another kindred podcaster has been so lovely. And I'm sad to wrap up this conversation, but it's a to be continued moment for me. (laughs) Absolutely. We'll continue it on my podcast. And I'm so grateful (gasps) that you had me. So thank you so much. Awesome. And yeah, that's another thing we're linked to that. Just make it really easy for everybody at wellevator.com, the podcast, the TikTok, the newsletter. I don't want to overwhelm you. So it's all in one place. And I really hope that you go check it out. Thanks again, Lloyd, for being here. Thanks to the listener. I'll be back again for another episode on Monday. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 